Welcome to Improv Interviews. I'm Margot Escott, a psychotherapist and improviser. And today I have a callback to somebody we talked with in March of 2019. Remember those days? It's the lovely Jane Morris. Welcome, Jane. Nice to be here. Thank you. It's, it's great. We had a little pre-talk and we were, one of the things we were talking about is why the myth went around for so long, women aren't funny. We were talking about that and your ideas on where that came from. Well, I, here's my idea is, um, this is what we talked about earlier, but uh, yeah, first of all, and you know, this, we, we all live our lives like the only life that ever happened was now. And so like in, and I'm stretching out from what, what I talked about before too, as like the Supreme Court decision right now that we're all very upset about, it's upsetting. I'm not saying it isn't upsetting. I just, you are not wearing a red dress and a bonnet. You are not, and you're not going to, you know what I mean? You're, it's, <laughs> life has been worse. We lived without Roe 50 years ago for the rest of time. You know what I mean? And we're still here. So we'll we'll get this sorted, right? So we we have this weird thing about history. And what we see with our little history blinders, the part I'm in, right? So the part of history I came into was knowing about comedy history for women, was knowing about people like Fanny Bryce, but not knowing anything about Fanny Bryce. I mean, when did I even hear her name? I was older, right? So I don't know anything about any of that comedy really. But there was a Fanny Bryce. And there were other women that were famously funny, famously funny. I come into the picture when Phyllis Diller is famously funny, and Toady Fields is famously funny. And, and uh, I'm trying to think, Kay Ballard is famously funny. And there, Gracie Allen is, come on, you know, what I mean, like, funny. No one ever says any of those people aren't funny and yet suddenly we talk about this idea that women aren't funny Gilda Radner like it never ends either no matter where you go there's That's funny it. women that we all agree are funny so we know that's not true and yet somehow it became this thing and here's my theory <laughs> just really stupid and weird but I, I, it came to my attention sometime late in my life, like in my 50s or, or beyond. <laughs> I'm not that old, but <laughs> I am beyond the 50s. Um, that women don't move their faces when they, they don't. They smile and they might go, or they might, but they don't, they don't move their face. They don't, oh my God, they don't do that. I do. And so as a result, I'm weird. I'm a weird, weird woman. So I think somewhere there's a, there's like a mental um, de derailing, right? Of, of how women are funny and maybe women can only be funny like on stage. I, or I, I don't know what it is, but yeah, it, I don't. It might, might be that they're not as feminine as we want. I'm talking about the men now. They're not as feminine. When they're funny. That's probably and it. Yeah. And how she dressed up and everything. I mean, she was fantastic. Yeah, they, they that's true. Um, and, but then there's a whole um, wave of female comedians who are very feminine, like Kathy Ladman and, and uh, oh, there's a whole bunch. I'm sorry. I'm, you know, blanking on them. But they're, you know, they're, they were. Um, Rita Rudner. Re, yeah, Rita Rudner. She made a, that was her whole thing was to be, yeah. you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's plenty. And then now women in comedy are so just themselves yes. and it's not, it's not either. It's just themselves being funny because, um, women are funny, you know? So yeah, you just Ruth, Ruth Buzzy. Right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it was Ruth right. Buzzy. She was really funny. And, you know, women have to be funny because they, oh, oh, oh. Goldie Hawn, Goldie yeah. Hawn was the hot babe woman comedian but really funny. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just a weird, it's just a weird myth. And I, I just think it's because of society and not, it's, it has no brain in it. 
that phrase, that idea. There's no brain there. There's no basis. Right, exactly. Um, and women are the only ones that have to put a bowling ball through their vagina. And when they, you know, they have to have a good sense of humor to do that, you know, maybe mm. not a bowling ball, but pretty heavy. Watermelon. <laughs> so um, this is the change of topic, but have you ever gotten so angry you threw ketchup on the wall? I just want to know, Jane, how no, angry Oh, I'm trying been? to think when I've ever thrown anything at all for any reason. Um, I don't ever remember like flipping my plate over or I wanted to, but I, I don't ever remember being angry that way. Yeah, good. I'm glad. Um, it's just been a week. I don't know if you're watching the hearings or not. And I do. Oh, like I, it's my favorite thing. I, I enjoy them. So, I can't tell so much. I enjoy them so much. I watch every second of it. And then I watch the after blab for the entire right. rest of however right. as much is left in that day. I watch all of it. I really love it. I do too. It's really addicting. It's really, you know, it's wonderful and crazy and sad. And every time something comes up, it's like, oh my God, I can't believe it, but it's true. You know? Well, we knew though, didn't we? we yeah, knew. we knew, we knew. So um, you have, you know, Johnny Appleseed of comedy is a name attributed to you. First woman to direct a show at Second City. Was that- As, as I you know. You, as far as you know. Um, and uh, so you have 59 film credits on IMBD. And uh, they finally put the laundromat up because I kept checking it. So the oh, laundromat, yeah, yeah. Where you, you die off pretty soon, don't you? Oh, yeah. I get killed, right? Boom, smack at the beginning. But you worked with Meryl Streep, for goodness sakes. I know, right? So much fun. And and uh, James Cromwell, who... Right. Oh, yes. What a delightful man. And the two of them get along really well, or they did. And so the shoot day was the four of us, you know, hanging around all day out on Lake Arrowhead, and um, which sat in for the lake we were lake george i believe is where that took place it's a true story and uh and it was cold and we so we go up to lake arrowhead it's really beautiful we have beautiful rooms and you know jeff is playing my husband so right, that was like yeah, a funny yeah. thing too yeah. and um so they were happy because they saved money on two actors playing husband and wife and putting them <laughs> up at a fancy hotel <laughs> and we were happy because we got a fancy hotel out of it and we didn't shoot the first day because it was too windy and cold. And the next day, they didn't want to put us out on the lake. Well, the next day it was just the same. <laughs> and we, we shot anyway. So we were frozen out there, but it was really, I mean, we did just stand around and talk all day. It was absolutely delightful. Well, you've been in films with a lot of heavy hitters. I'm thinking about Frankie and Jana, Jana, Frankie and Johnny, uh, and that Netta, was it Netta or Nita character? Netta. Netta, Netta. Yeah. yeah. She was the waitress, huh? Yeah. I always thought of her as the ghost of Christmas future. <laughs> For Frankie's character, you know what I mean? Yeah. And what was it like working with, with Al Pacino back then? Oh, I really enjoyed working with Al Pacino. Um, I, I, I felt bad that we didn't, we weren't able to like see each other much after the film because he was around Santa Monica, you know? Uh -huh. And I'd always miss him. Somebody, somebody say, oh, you know, where that Johnny Appleseed theater was right by this coffee shop that he frequented when he was in town. And so people go, oh, Al was over there. And I, I just never, you know, I never saw him again. I never saw him again. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, he was, he had an in, insomnia. And so uh, the work wow. hours were a little rough on him, but yeah, he was, he was great. He was in a movie about having insomnia. Was he? Yes. I can't remember the name of it. I'll have to think of that right now, but enough about him. Um, and you've done some work with Gary Marshall, who's one of my favorites. Oh, lots of work with Gary Marshall. What a delightful man. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I miss him. I do. His hey, funeral was one of the funniest things. <laughs> really? Oh, and on and on. And everybody talked, you know, Tom Hanks. And it was, oh, Bette Midler sang wow. wind beneath my wings live oh my gosh yeah it was something else and dear lord it was funny they had a clip of all the shows that he tried to do uh, the pilots that he had that didn't make it huh? <laughs> and they were so comically 
bad. Like you even go like, what were you even thinking? There was one like called walking with Bob or something. It was this black guy. <laughs> and he literally was just like walking around being in a park. <laughs> it was so stupid and terrible. <laughs> oh, we laughed so hard. Yeah. That's great. Well, you, you actually, I see your film career starting back in 1986. That's as far as IMBD has it in terms of film and TV. I think the first one was with Gary with nothing in common. Oh, I wow. Think. Yeah, he came in. We were at the ETC theater. Right. He came in and, uh, oh, I'm so sorry. I got it. I got it. I can't. Oops. It's bad. Uh, um, uh, what was I saying? Sorry, I need to talk to that lady. Um, uh, Gary walked into the ETC theater. Ah, uh, yes, he came to the ETC, and um, he actually pretty much hired our cast to do um, to be the ad agency. And so it was the ETC cast, and I met Mike Haggerty. He was from the main stage, and then there was a couple actors he liked. And um, that he put in there that weren't didn't have improvisational background. One guy likes to tell the story of how he was cast by lying to Gary's face that he indeed improvised all the time. Uh, <laughs> uh, he did okay for himself. He works all the time. Uh, so yeah, it was. So he just hired us, and there we were. And we shot some of it in Chicago and some of it out here. So it was really. And the only film I had done before that was a friend of mine shot a short film that she had written. And it was a, a weird story of a farmer's wife having an affair with a salesman and then killing him and burying him in the yard. And- uh, It was a comedy. No. And, uh, <laughs> and it was cold out and we were in these little, I was in this little summer dress and we, we were freezing our asses off. The whole crew was in parkas. And you know we're out there, and I remember shooting this one scene at a screen door when the guy first comes to the door, uh -huh. and the turnarounds on the screen and getting all the lighting right for the screen door thing and all that. And I'm so glad I did that before I did nothing in common, or I would have just been like, "What is going on? What is this hurry up and wait business? How come we're not? Why don't we just do the next thing? Like, what are we doing?" I would have been a complete fool. But I learned really fast. It's just the actors are part of the furniture <laughs> in some ways. And uh, you just got to wait like a chair. <laughs> yep, like a chair. <laughs> oh, my God. Have you, did you ever watch, have you watched Barry the series? Did you watch that at all? I did, but I just started season the, this last season. So okay, I haven't well, seen the whole thing. No spoilers on that. But um, his uh, girlfriend uh start, starting to make it in tv yes and yes i, I got yeah, that far yeah yeah, yeah. i thought that i really like that show i wish it gone on but good things have to end so um so recently more recently you and jeff and uh rick hall and some other folks did was it called the long isolation yeah wow what a thing that it was written by I hope Don, more people get to Don see it castellanetta i'm yeah, sorry castellanetta and his wife, Debla Costa, directed it and wrote it. So we're in a thing called immediate theater that Dan and Deb run. And the idea, and this is off of Jeffrey Sweet, uh, who okay. wrote something wonderful right away, right? right. right. And um, uh, he runs a workshop. In fact, he was just saying today on Facebook that he has one slot left for the summer. Um, and you get together for, I forget how long, a week, two weeks, I don't know. And he gets writer performers, writer improvisers. Right. And right. you bring in the work that you want to do, what you're writing. And then the improvisers will, will either read it for you, put it, read it, put it down and improvise the scene you just wrote. Maybe we'll improvise the scene that comes before it, the scene that comes after it, uh, like that for your writing. And then you record what we're doing and then you call what you want out of it. Well, Deb and Dan have started that workshop. We've been doing it for quite a few years now. Uh, at the Fanatic and we do a live stage show uh, immediate theater where we just improvise there's no like writing stuff but during the pandemic we kept meeting online and they wrote The Long Isolation which is a film noir shot on zoom 
and it's excellent. And I, I gotta say, when we did it, it was a lark. And the, I wish people could see it right now. Like, I wish I could show you a clip just so I can say to you that I am now in my garage. Here's my garage. See, it's like a big messy, messy. This is where it was when we did the long isolation, right? And Jeff, this is where Jeff was when we did the, Rick Hall is on his back porch. This one's in her kitchen. That was in her, you know, in her bedroom, How, like Zoom, right? So it so, was so good. And I want to see it again. And I, I asked Jeff, but it it's doesn't look there. like it's shot on Zoom. I mean, we oh, got all, all these festivals and we get awards for editing because it's like, how did they do that? Right. Where they, we enter the same, you know, we enter and yep, exit the room. Yep. Oh my God. It's so much fun. It was brilliant. And then it's film noir. So we're all paying these really giant characters, right? And I thought, oh man. So that's fun. It's Zoom. The picture's as big as fine. Well, then we get in these festivals and it's going to be shown on the big screen. And all of us went, oh, uh oh, that's going to be bad. When we're doing that and our face is the size of the side of a house, that's going <laughs> to be bad. And so we all went like, okay. Nope, it was fine. It was hilarious. <laughs> Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, I wish I'd been there. That sounds great. Oh, I love it. And it was really, really fun. I love Rick Hall and Laura. And um, I just think he's great. And that's going to lead me into another question. We'll get back into showbiz and name dropping in a bit. But how have you and Jeff stayed married so long? Because, you know, usually improvisers act, they don't stay married that long, except for Rick and Laura. Craig, Deb and Dan. Pardon? Deb and Dan. And Dan. And I was thinking of Craig and Carla Kukowski. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if there was anybody else that I think has been married that long. And there's long a few more. A few George more. and Bernadette went. Okay. Um, uh, let me see. What other couples? There's a couple. Like one time when they did the Ireland thing, the cast was all couples. Um, so I'm blanking on who the other couples were. But yeah, there's some and there's still Eric Bort. Well, I don't know if his wife's in show, but there's yeah, there's a few that made it. Great. But still, are you asking what my secret is? Yeah, what is your secret? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I I honestly feel like I was always fascinated by Jeff, you know, and at the time we were going together, and and um, I still value his opinion, and mm -hmm. um, we still talk things through, like oh, I'm doing this thing and if this isn't quite working and why would that be? And why would you fix it? We do a lot of that still. Um, but I actually think it boils down more to not that, that it's um, uh, when I was getting married, the day I was getting married, we were driving to the wedding, which, oh, by the way, our anniversary is coming up, which we always forget. And Jeff is in Poland. Oh, by the I way, know, right now. I saw that he's in Poland. Until, until like two months, he just left. He just got there and he's going to be there till the end of August. Anyway, I'm glad for him because he's always wanted to go to Poland. He's going to have a good time. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we're in the car on July 11th in the blazing heat going to get married. And my mom and dad were in the car with me. And I can't remember who was driving. And uh, Jeff wasn't in the car. You know, you don't see the bride. Right. And um, we got married in a garden at Northwestern University. And my mom, out of the blue, like elbows my dad in the back seat and she's like, Earl, you're supposed to like give her some kind of advice. Like you're <laughs> supposed to say something. She's getting married. Like you're supposed to give her. And my dad was a man of few words to say the least. And my dad went, uh, well, <laughs> and he goes, well, just try to make each other happy. But like, you know, really try, like try to actually like both of you have to try to make the other person happy. And that's what I did. So how many years is it now, this July 11th? Uh, about uh, 40, I think. I think this is 40. No, it could be 39. It's either 39 or 40, I don't know. Yeah, it's funny. No, no, it's 39, it's 39. So I think okay. we got married in 83. We got married in 83, so. All right, great, wonderful. Big anniversary. I don't know what the what the gemstone is. It's not paper. I don't think that's the first one, but whatever. He's there, and you're busy here. Oh, so. we always forget our anniversary. Always the first anniversary we had 
it was like hell on earth. Like that particular day, it had nothing to do with our anniversary. We just were really busy. It was really hot, July 11th. The baby was sick. We had a thing to do. We couldn't get back in time. I was on main stage. We, I, I didn't eat. I had a candy bar all day and a Coke. That was it. Uh, on the way home after all of that, the, the, we couldn't get the baby out of the car seat. We had to cut the car seat and the car, oh, the car broke down. That was it. The car broke down and we had to take a cab home and the cab got pulled over for speeding or something. <laughs> and, you know, and then the next year the baby was sick and we had to, we were in the emergency room all night, the night before our anniversary. So the third year we were like, I said to Jeff, maybe we should duck our anniversary. Right. <laughs> I meant it. I'm like, I don't, mm. and we, we did. And we got, we don't remember our anniversary anymore. It'll come and go. And we'll go, Oh, missed it again. <laughs> That's so funny. The curse of the anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you have two sons, right? We do. That's lovely. That's really nice. Um, so I want to get back a little bit to your career because I was looking at all the TV shows you've been in as well. You, you were in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, was that? Mm-hmm. And yep. you were in Shameless and of course the Drew, Car- Drew Carey character, Nora, mm-hmm. uh, a great character. And so a lot of these people were improvisers. Do you think the improvise, did, did you notice working with a lot of improvisers when you were doing TV or film or anything? You know, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, uh, it's, I, I think it's not what people, this is my take on it. So okay, okay. I've certainly been asked to improvise in films and it, I find it a little wonky and difficult, uh-huh. um, uh, except with Dick Libertini on the Drew Carey show there, they did once in a while, they would do a show that was actually improvised, which it really wasn't. There was a plot and all like, uh-huh. but you did kind of improvise your dialogue and lines a, a bit. And I was with Dick and he, he really, he, he saved my ass really. He was just so great to work with. And, uh, but working with everybody else that was supposedly improviser on that, no, it was really clunky and weird and kind of a no, it just wasn't good. But, um, but for me that, but the idea of improvisation helping you as an actor in film and television, oh yes. Especially in like sitcom stuff. Yeah. Because yeah. they, you know, you do a line and they decide that it doesn't work and they yank it and the writers all powwow and you got a new line. I did a show one time with, uh, it was, it was Shelley Long after Cheers and she was playing a, um, a shrink. And so me and this, you know how there's the cold open on a show. So me and the, we were only in the cold mean? open. What is the cold oh, open? You know, the show, it's, the show starts with a scene of some sort that may or may not have anything to do with everything else that's to come in the show, the cold open. And then the credits roll and then the show starts. So we were only in the cold open and, um, and we got along fine. And you know, we auditioned and we got cast and boom, here we are at work. And every day on that show, somebody didn't come back the next day. And so we're just like, when's it our turn? when is it going to be <laughs> because on top of that every day like they hired us to play these two characters that we did in the in the audition right, right. well the next day we were playing two completely different characters <laughs> we we're for sure getting fired you know but it was every day margo every single day we were playing two completely different characters so yeah being able to <laughs> improvise was super helpful <laughs> with that kind of thing you know or in uh, Frankie and Johnny there was a scene where we were in the women's locker room and uh we're talking about sex her having sex with Al Pacino's character and uh Kate Nelligan's character is trying to get Michelle Pfeiffer to tell her what it was like and all that and my uptight character is like mm-hmm. and uh <laughs> uh yeah and and that was improvised. That's great. Carrie like, liked us to improvise. That's wonderful. Now we're talking a lot about character and the character work, you're known. Oh, by the way, I, I forgot to say this in the beginning, but you were admired by so 
many people. There's a hashtag, I know Jane Morris. Get out, uh, there is know. not. I'm not kidding you. I'm not what? kidding. You are so well admired and respected. I did not know there was, I, I'm a hat. Okay, let me just tell you. You're not my, a hat. My goal in life is to be a crossword puzzle answer. <laughs> <laughs> this is as good. This is as good as being a crossword puzzle answer. I swear to God. I'm a hashtag. <laughs> really? No. So many people speak so well of you. Um, and uh, I wish they'd speak as well about me. No, this is this show isn't about me today. It's about Jane Morris. Although I have to admit, I did start the, the pre-show with asking Jane to interview me because, you know, I think it would be really interesting. But back to you. Okay, enough about, <laughs> enough about me. What do you think about me? So character work, character work. Let's talk about character work and what kind of inspires you and develop. And have you been, have you, you've taught character work in the past? I did a lot back in a the lot, day. Yeah. I don't really, first of all, I don't teach improv very much at all. Right. Anymore. I know that. We're going to talk about what you're doing now. Yeah. And, um, but, and I don't, I don't really teach character work in the stuff I'm doing now because it's not stuff that's not pertinent it is but I don't teach it as a thing it's like oh now oh I'm directing now you are doing what you're doing and I have to work with where you are so I don't um but like right now I'm, I'm working with these two different Japanese women one is very still and poised and very very not moving and the other one jumps around like a flea like she's just <laughs> flying around so it's like you take them where they are and you, you know, work with how they move and extend that movement or whatever, you, you know, but that's the way I look at character work too. It's like, well, what, what's the, what's the main, what's the demeanor of that character? What's the body language of, I kind of start with the body because I came from <laughs> that. My, my acting teacher was a very, very much a physical, I mean, he worked from the physical rather than the emotional, you know, like, so he would say to you, um, get on stage now play an inferior person in a superior place. So what do you do? Yeah. Right. You go like that. You what? how do you, how do you go like that? But he, so he would just get you up there and have you do that. And then he would say, okay, now do this, look down, drop your head, keep your head where it is, but look up, now drop your body. You know what I mean? So you can look like an inferior person in a superior place without thinking you are one, right? Yes, yes. But what you can do is then, and his thing is once you take on that posture, it does affect you mentally. You do get the feeling of what that feels like, you know? Like I knew this kid, it was very obnoxious. And he had a, uh, uh, this, uh, uh, you know, what's that called? An underbite. Mm -hmm. So I thought, what's it like to be that kid? And I went around. You know what? <laughs> I look obnoxious when I'm not. You know what I mean? <laughs> and actually, after a while, that makes me feel a little bit crabby to actually try to talk. I, I actually kind of feel kind of shitty now. You know, like, <laughs> so rather than go through, you know, uh, identifying emotions and coming from the emotions come from the body because we can the body, but it's through the emotion anyway. Like everything I do is through the emotion, including writing. So it's all for me, it's all through the emotion. It's like what, and, but it's also clues, especially scripted material. I think right. I worked on sitcoms a lot because I was able to read the script cue clues, like, there's a difference between a character named Constance and a character named Connie. Right, right. That was someone's choice. Now you have to make that your choice. You have to understand that was a choice, right? Right. So, and again, the improvisation thing helps with that a lot. But as a writer in Second City, and Jeff and I actually argue about this from time to time because he doesn't agree with me, but I'm, I'm sorry. What works, works, right? So at the time I was at Second City, we were, you know, obviously writing sketches. We were in the ETC, uh, but we hadn't, I don't think opened a show yet. I don't think we did. Pretty sure we didn't. Anyway, 
we were doing Bernie Solins, the owner director guy, yep. was doing a workshop on, you know, writing material. And what we had to do every day is bring the paper in the newspaper and pick an article and think of a sketch about that article. And Bernie's thing was, um, you uh, you find the irony, and that's how you find the the sketch. And for me, I'm like, I don't even know what you mean by irony, like, let alone, I, I'm just cooked. And what I learned <laughs> out of that class, I learned through Jeff, because Jeff got it. So whatever, I'm still struggling. And then this guy, Bill Matthew came through. His name is Aloudin now, he's a Sufi. And he was a Sufi back then too, but he hadn't changed his name yet. He was Fred Kaz before Fred Kaz. They were, he was wow. also, he is a jazz musician. And he was at the piano and he was the guy that said, you know, you ought to do this job. I'm leaving. Why don't you do it? And then Fred was there for 30 years. Um, Wonderful. And they allowed him came through and he did a workshop. He did two. In fact, he came through twice and did two workshops and both like changed my thinking. The first one was, was you are taking up someone else's time. What are you taking it up with? I know that sounds like what? Of course, no, think it over. <laughs> I'm just saying, what are you doing up there? How much time are you taking to do it? What are you doing up there? You're up there, I'm not. So that was eye-opening. Yeah. The other one was during the irony workshop over here with Bernie, Aladdin was doing a workshop where we had to take the newspaper, pick an article that we had a reaction to, identify how that made you feel that article, and pull the sketch from there. Well, that blew the barn doors off for me, off. Because once I can identify how I feel, and, and Jeff's thing was, well, that's always anger, or that's always whatever. And I'm like, you're right, that's true. You read the article, you go, what's this, right? You do, but why are you going, what's this? Because that's the irony. What's irony? The space between, this is Jeff's definition, but it's a real good one. The space between reality and the ideal right right why right. is it pissing you off because here's how far we are from where we are right and why and so that was that's just blew the barn doors off for me i could write sketches galore then off news off what you said to me off whatever and it's all about how that made me feel but it's that secondary it will all be anger you know, if you don't, if you just stop there. So anyway. No, yeah. that's great, right? Good stuff. I feel like I'm really in a class with you right now. This is marvelous. So um, now you um, have uh, your own program called WPA. The WPA. Yes, Look, tell us hey, about the WPA. This will be backwards, right? It's backwards, WPA. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I love it. Make it. Yep. Writer, performer, artist, if you can flip it around. Right. Anyway. Oh, it was perfect. Sorry. I'm sure our Back. listeners saw it very well too. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> so tell us about it. Okay, so uh, a long time ago, I was involved in Late Night Catechism, uh, the show that was so popular. I played the nun and I did it for like 10 years and there was no sequel to that show. Everybody was always trying to get her to write a sequel. And um, I wrote one. And it, I, we did do it, and I wrote the Christmas show and the first sequel to the show. And what happened after that, she, that woman was my friend for 30 years, and I, it, it was bad. It was really bad. It was life-changing devastation. And um, I was in a big mess. And at some point, I kind of woke up and went, I'm Jane Morris. I don't do this. You know what I mean? I don't let people treat me this way. I don't, what the fuck, you know? So, but I was still like, and, <laughs> 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 and so I was talking to this woman, Becky Thayer, and she was in a workshop with Paula Killen, who's somebody you ought to interview sometime. And, um, she said, you should take Paula's workshop. And I did. And Paula was doing a class out of, I. well, she was doing her class, but then at IO out here, we did a monthly show. And basically it was, 
it was way before all this storytelling thing was a big deal. There was no moth at this time. Um, the moth came within me be, being in that workshop, but it it was just new then. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so there wasn't this whole storytelling community thing. It was in its infancy. And so we would write these like, you know, storytelling shows are like 10 minutes long, blah, blah, blah. And most people tell personal stories, but that's not my thing. So I did these characters, which using the formula that I just told you, I wrote off of news articles and things that I found astonishing. And I did the show with Fred Cass and uh, it was called All These Things Are Yeah, it was so fun. Uh, it was called All These Things Are True, but some of them didn't happen. Because <laughs> um, they were all true, but some of them, like one of them was the singing nun in hell, except it wasn't the singing nun in hell. It was the person who is responsible for this singing nun in hell. And, um, but it was about hell really. And, right, and right. why we're in hell and, and, uh, and all that. And that was because I heard this, this uh, woman on Art Bell who used to do a, a radio show about UFOs and ghosts and shit. And it was this woman who died a lot. Like she had something wrong with her where she died over and over again. And so, yeah, sometimes she went into the light but sometimes she didn't. And when she didn't, like one time she was on a catwalk and, uh, and below her was endless sand with endless people digging holes in the sand that just filled right back in. And she was made aware that she would not be staying. And also that these people could leave whenever they wanted to, but they just didn't. And I went, well, yeah, because that's what we do in our lives, why would hell be different? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're still mad at Aunt uncle Charlie, you know, right. <laughs> in hell, let it go. Stop digging the sand. But you, don't, you, don't, you don't know. Why would you then? Right. You're just going to be in hell for fucking ever. Right? That's what the thing was about. Uh, so yeah. What was my point? Oh, so I started writing these pieces uh, in Paula's workshop and then Paula went on to write for a lot of stuff and couldn't do it anymore. And she bequeathed it to me. So the WPA are, and here's my thing. It, it's called the WPA, which is a thing during the depression or what got us out of the depression, the work program. But I have it meaning writer, performer, artist, right. because right. actors are the only people that wait to be invited to do their art, right? If you're a writer and you say to me, oh, I can't write anything. I don't have a pen. You'd be like, what? <laughs> it's wrong. <laughs> oh, well, that's what actors do. I can't, no one's inviting me to be in there. I can't, I'm not in them. I, well then do something. Just get up, you're, you can, you're an actor, do something. Do something. Okay, don't write it then. Find some monologues you like, do them. Ask them people come watch, get a scene partner, do that. Like right. just do stuff, stop, stop it. Anyway, so that's the WPA, we, we do stuff. And my, my focus with it, we meet on Tuesdays and Wednesdays online. And we used to always meet live, but now we're uh, online except for the first Wednesday of the month, we meet live so we can get up on stage. And we do shows, we do a lot of shows. I've lost count of the number of one person shows I've directed at this point. I have a ball doing them. They're so much fun. Uh, at this point, because of the pandemic, we're like stacked up like airplanes trying to land at LAX right. uh, with shows ready to go um, or ready to go into rehearsal. So yeah, we've just been busy and having fun and we still do storytelling shows where we just do short pieces as well. Um, it's like, what do you wanna do? Let's do that. And so my goal kind of is to keep people moving forward on whatever it yeah, is they're yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, you're directing and you've got all this talent you're working with, but, and what do you get out of it? I mean, ex explain that a little bit, your joy of doing this work. Well, part of it is, it's like a puzzle. And I don't like like number puzzles and stuff, but I like, I like to, it's like, okay, when I started directing stuff, it was really scary to me because especially like a, a one person thing, it's a giant monologue. You can't just stand there and say it. 
Right. What do you do? How do you even do that? And most people doing this, there's no budget for it or almost no budget for it. So, and I, I take that to heart because the other thing that really bothers me is when people can't do what they want to do because they don't have money. That makes me nauseous. So I will bend over backwards to help people get their shit up. Yeah. And um, it just really bothers me. And so I've seen so many talented people not be seen by anyone. And it's just gross. So anyway, so I... And I love that concept. I love that idea. It's, you every, know, everybody's it's different. Well, prosperity and abundance, if we believe, you know, I was, you know, old hippie, whatever. Um, but the idea of prosperity in new age, I guess, but prosperity and abundance, if we look for it, if we believe it's possible, that we're worthy of it, then it comes. And, you know, by being able to give opportunities to people, you're, you're passing it on is what you're doing. Yeah, I really, and I, enjoy, I really enjoy the work. It's intriguing. It's intriguing. You learn you learn about, I mean, back in Paula's class, there was a woman who always wrote about her father, basically, and her sisters. And, um, and they were hilarious stories and, and just on and on. And, and when her father died, it was like, we knew him, you know, we'd heard so much about him. Right. We mourned with her. It was like, we know your dad. I mean, I never met the man, but I knew a lot about him you know it was like it's really intriguing it's, you know I have a woman who's a, a a dialect coach she did the matrix and she did uh lord of the rings for all those people with the Australian accents trying to sound American and, and uh um she embodies the sounds your mouth makes as characters that's what she's doing for a one-person show um it's uh it's they're they're as different as as the as flora and fauna you know their stories they're and but they're not because we're human and so we 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 share our humanity when we share our stories and and uh that's that's what happened so i've learned all manner of things about the japanese culture working with two different japanese that's women wonderful and they became friends on the kind of i put one in the other one's piece because i needed somebody to play the landlord and yammer in japanese which she did <laughs> so, so yeah it's just it's just so fun it's fun and it's um it's uh, uh people ask me what's your criteria for like directing a show and it's 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 this can i watch this 400 times because i'm gonna have to basically you know right right now so, you say, i'm sorry i was going to go back to you said you don't do personal stories about yourself not much i have, I have a couple and only because i was forced into it like some storytelling things don't it has to be a personal story that's their thing yeah and even then i don't i don't do a personal story so much as i do in uh like a an op-ed you know okay cool so um What's it like running a improvisational theater in school? What is that like? Because you're, um, you and Jeff, and there's one other person I think involved with your- Tommy. Tommy, yeah. So what's Tommy that Mitchell. Like? Well, it's not like that. It's not like the Second City or the IO or at least- right. And you don't do all those crazy levels. We don't do any, for, we know, okay. So at the other places that we did in my, in my Johnny Appleseed career, we did have a program with levels, but when we had the levels, you as a, once you join the workshop program, you can, um, you can uh, take all the classes willy nilly. So we didn't, we didn't believe in stratifying the actors and I still don't. And I understand what people's frustration with that is if you've got somebody who's really green or just never improves, there are those people, you know, but my admonishment to them is, okay, so form your own group without that guy in it, A, and B, I don't know why that guy's here because it's none of my business. If he wants to come every week and fail, he can. And if he wants to try to improve, he can. Clearly, he's get, he is getting something out of this that causes him to come back. And that's just none of my business. So that's that. So we don't, basically we have a theater 
You can do what you want there. Rent the space, do the show. We'll help you any way we can. We cannot put butts in the seat. We'll try, but we, we can't guarantee you a house. That's your job. It's LA, doesn't work that way. So you can do whatever you want there. And then Jeff has his workshop on, it's a drop-in on Saturday mornings from 11 to two. I'll be teaching that for the next two months while he's in Poland. And then, uh, and that's 30 bucks. And then, um, and I'd have my class on Tuesday and Wednesday and we put shows up and of all ilk. Besides, we do shows as the WPA and then all these people doing their solo work. And they all go out and do, you know, storytelling things as well, so. That's wonderful. So it's not, it's not a frustration thing with you. It's not, it's a, it's mostly a, a joy and a beautiful thing. Oh yeah. It's not a frustration thing at all. I wouldn't do it if it was a frustration. Yeah. No, <laughs> why? Life's too short. No, no. Again, I won't do the show if I, if I can't watch it 400 times. And that includes if there's a passage this long that bores the shit out of me and I have to watch that fucking thing over and over. Well, that's good. I don't want to do it. Discreet. I want to enjoy it top to bottom. Um, I wanted to ask you how you felt about Larry David. Do you enjoy him as a writer or not, or his show or not? Because he's no. supposed to be doing improv. You don't like him? No. So we'll throw him out then. Okay, never mind. Um, I just, it's an all arguing. And I yeah. get it. I, I've watched the show and laughed, but once or twice. And then I just watch people argue and why doesn't somebody just punch him in the face repeatedly? I don't get it. It doesn't ring to me at all. I've been, I've been after watching the hearings, I like, I've been watching go, all the Seinfeld episodes mm -hmm. and um, I, I just love Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Oh yeah. She was She's in my touring company lady, when huh? I was, she was in what? our touring company. Yeah. She started out at, well, she started out at Northwestern and they were doing this show with Brad Hall and uh, Gary Kroger and, uh, oh, I can't think of his name. I can see his face. Mm, he's still a big old hippie. Oh, sh I can't think of his name. Anyway, um, yeah, they were doing this amazing show. Uh, and they and so I toured with Julia a little bit for the summer, I think, before she got snapped up. She, I just love her so much. I love everything. I love Veep. I love everything she's done. I just think she's that... she's just brilliant. She's a brilliant improviser. It's really kind of a shame that there's nothing she does that you get to see her just do that. Right. She's great. So yeah, smart. Oh my god. Well, I'm glad she's a really nice person too, because you want I want to think she is. I mean, some people aren't nice people. We were talking about them pre-show. We won't go back into them again. But well, I can't really tell you if she's a nice person anymore. Maybe she isn't. She was though, so yeah, <laughs> I can well, only assume she's still is. that. Because I mean, there's some folks that are kind of well. There's assholes, and then there's the rest of us great people. Yeah. <laughs> and then sometimes, you know, when you're working on film and television. Sometimes you walk away thinking, wow, that guy's an asshole. And it's like, you know, I would hate it if somebody saw me do this one thing when I was like frustrated and think I'm an asshole. Because right. I was like, you know. Well, that don't you this is the thing about actors. A lot of people think that the, the way the actor is on screen is the way they are in life. And so um sometimes no, i don't find that to be true no you don't okay because no. you're in the business and i'm not i'm just saying uh, there's there's a couple actors i can think of that everybody's just like oh that guy and he's like the worst asshole so <laughs> so uh, i won't name names but okay oh i wish you would there's some that, shit out that, there i'll tell you it's okay so um uh, we're starting to get to the close and I just loved this interview today. I, I just love you so much and I feel so much more relaxed. You know, I, I think the oh, first good. time I was like, Oh, I'm going to talk to Jay Morris. Oh, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. All that crap, you yeah, know, no. <laughs> <laughs> not me. And today I feel just wonderful. And I just put a message in the chat to you as well. Um, so you're doing everything you want to do today, aren't you? No, I'm not. Okay, well, um, then what would you I'm like as to malcontent do? as everyone. I would like more money. I would like a bigger stage. Um, I mean, not a bigger stage. I don't mean it that way. When people are doing a one-person show, you, you, I would like you to write the show with elephants. Like everything you see. A naked man. Like whatever. Like I want you to have 
like planes flying through. Like, I want you to do the Lion King by yourself. Right, right, right. Right. I want you to do everything. Well, you can't. I don't have the money for that. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to make the slides work. I don't know how to, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm very frustrated by my own lack of, there was a time when, because I was trained in theater arts, you know, stagecraft, blah, blah, lighting, uh, that I could do shows by myself. I could run the whole damn show, put a set up. I could do the whole thing and I can't anymore. Things are, you know, the, the, everything's digitalized, slotted up, which is great. It makes for better shows. I'm not complaining about that, but I'm frustrated with my inability to just do what I want. And so I tell people, write the show with a, a herd of elephants and six camels, but know that you might be out doing it somewhere with a chair and a tin can light. So your show has to hold up on the page, you know? It has to completely hold up with you saying it because you might have to, but no, do the whole thing. And that's my frustration is I'd like to be able to, there was this show I did, uh, this lady, Jenny Noah wrote a show called Pulp and Prejudice. That's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Top to bottom funny about romance novels. Oh my God. If I had dough, I would have toured her. You know what I mean? Like I, we could, we just did the show and then we stopped. Cause what are you going to do? You know, I don't have the money to buy, get a publicist. I don't have the money to do the things that would give your show legs. I, I'm old and I have no clout in the industry, so I can't open a door for you. Right. You know, I can't, I can't get you hired at second city. There was a time I could have done that. There's not, you know, there's, I'm just an old lady now that, <laughs> you know like whatever thank god i have a hashtag <laughs> so happy about my hashtag I gotta go find it. <laughs> so um well this has been so wonderful and um i i i love your the i love the sign in front of fanatic salon because I guess you do hair there as well. Is that right? No, we don't. It was a hair salon though. <laughs> I know. I saw the sign. And I my, I think my good friend, Michael Golding comes down and plays. Oh yeah, all the time. What a lovely man. Oh gosh, yeah. Wonderful. Hi, Michael, if you're listening. We always love seeing your face. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, he's a great listener too. So this has been a wonderful afternoon for me. And I hope you've had some fun as well. And I know I have. are going to enjoy listening and learning more about the wonderful fanatical Jane Moore. <laughs> I am a fanatic. That's terrific. I am a fanatic too. That's you know, the answer. Know. That's why I enjoy it. Cause I'm a fanatic. I also yeah. like basketball. Okay. And we're both weird. You know, I was considered very different as a child. There was something mm-hmm. about me that was like quirky. And if I had known that quirky is not a bad thing. Right. I kind of took it. Yeah. I, I uh, you know, and, so anyway, but you know, in my later life, I've discovered it's okay to be quirky, and uh, and you meet the most wonderful people in the improv community. It's just you do, fantastic, I think, like you. So thank you for your time. And do you have any pearls of wisdom? Don't um, wait to be invited. Hey, yeah, yeah, that's my pearl. Don't wait to be invited. Thank you so much, Jane. It's just been wonderful having you today. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. It has been fun, and. We'll see you again, I hope. I hope so too. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.